0: Hi listeners, and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr George, and on today's episode, we're talking about the NDIS and housing. Maybe you're ready to move out of the family home, or maybe you're living in a group home or in a nursing home and want to live somewhere better. We hope we can help you out, so stay tuned. And who better than Penny Paul, Information and Connections Coordinator at the Solar Foundation to help us understand this rather complex area. Hey Penny, how are you?
1: Hi George.
0: Oh, Penny housing is one of those really important things that we all need in our lives. And um, if you have a disability, it's often quite hard to find affordable and accessible housing. How is the NDIS going to help people in the area of housing?
1: I think if you have a housing-related goal, so for example, if you identify at your planning meeting that you'd like to explore where you can live, who you can live with, and the kinds of supports that you'd need to live independently in the community, it's likely they'd give you some capacity-building funding to work with a support coordinator to look for appropriate affordable housing for you.
0: Okay, and that housing, uh, is that housing in a community? What kind of housing can you get funded by the NDAS?
1: So I guess the NDIS is supporting people to live an ordinary life. So you would begin by looking at the ordinary housing options that are out there, so things like community housing, social housing, cooperative housing, public housing, home sharing, sharing with friends, private rental, or I suppose if you're living with your parents currently and you're wanting a stepping stone to perhaps living more independently, uh, a movable unit or a bungalow might be a good place to start.
0: And that's really key, because I think that uh for people who've lived with their parents all their life that it can be quite a big step to uh move out on your own, and that's true for people without disabilities. but when you have a disability, often you might not realize how many uh kind of how, the the type of support that your parents provide, you might not realize what that will look like um, if you live out um, on your own.
1: Yeah, I think we've talked about this before, George, and and talked about how going away for a week or a weekend from your parents to an accessible uh, holiday destination can help you really work out the types of supports that you need to live independently day by day, week on week. And that's a really good place to start to find out you know, what it would look like. To live independently.
0: And build the confidence to know that you can do it.
1: I think confidence is key to this. Housing is a really big deal and I think it's a lot to expect in your first plan to move out of home if you haven't moved out of home before because you might want to get confident with the support providers that you're working with, with individual support workers, to really feel that
0: um, you can move out and make living in the community independently a success. Alright, so yeah, you've got a housing goal. Um, you're looking at some different options um, as a stepping stone. How about actually you know, finding a house that you're going to live in? How does, how does that work with you? Yeah, so I understand that there's this term that I hate and it's called specialist disability accommodation, but that that is effectively something that goes in your plan that will then fund the housing that you need. But not everyone will get SDA, will they?
1: No. SDA is really um, quite a complicated area, and I, I hate the term. I think we've spoken about this before, specialist disability accommodation.
0: And the word special, I just hate the word... Special invention. And why accommodation like why couldn't they just call it, you know, universal housing or something like that? But anyway.
1: Anyway. So that is an option for some NDIS participants. That is people with what they call an extreme functional impairment or participants who have a very high support need. We think only of you know, maybe 6% of all NDIS participants will be eligible for specialist disability accommodation. But it's not like it's first come best served. It's depending on the eligibility criteria as to whether you, an individual,
0: would be eligible. Okay, now we'll talk about that in a minute in terms of those what those things mean. But the term extreme functional impairment, how do you know if you're disability is just, you know, medium or high or, in this case, extreme.
1: So, that would suggest that even with assistive technology and with a really uh, high level of support in your physical housing design, that you still need a lot of support from a particular, from a person.
0: And it's also to do with the fact that um, the NDIS will fund home modifications, for example, but that, that might not be enough, yeah? The home mods might not be enough to enable you to live um, independently.
1: That's right, and you will also have to have a home for the, to be modified to, for home mods to work for you, and that, that's the same with sort of assistive technologies. It assumes that you've got a housing arrangement. And of course, it, the NDIS is going to say, well, where do you live now? why do you need to move from where you're living now or what supports could be put in to make your current living situation more sustainable so you really need to be anticipating those sorts of questions from the agency and preparing your case um, for why you need something different.
0: And it's about saying, well, yeah, that we advocated for an NDIS and we've advocated for reasonable and necessary support for people to live in a community. It's not acceptable that you should have to live with your parents your whole life or depend on on them. So I think that um, it's really important what you just said, that, that what you have now could be better. And it's not okay to have to live in a residential aged care facility. Yeah, that needs that, that to be at the forefront of your conversation.
1: It absolutely does. And, look, we really think that NDIS is the best chance we've got for resolving the issue of young people in nursing homes. But be aware that your planner is unlikely, if they meet you in aged care, is unlikely to be able to imagine you living in the community. And if your parents or your supporters or family have been part of the process of you going to aged care, they might have trouble thinking of you living outside of aged care as well. So I suggest that you...
0: And you might have trouble. and then we know that people can become very institutionalised and think that, you know, this is all that that will ever be. But, you know, we want anyone listening to, to say, you know, to think that, no, that there, there, there can be um, better than what you've currently got.
1: There has to be. There has to be
0: better options than young people living in aged care. That's what we think. All right, so we've obviously uh, been very strong in our advocacy um, for um, appropriate housing in our plan, and lo and behold, we end up with a SD8 payment in our plan. What do we do to actually find a house? Because the payment is... Just a payment, it, it's, it's not a house.
1: Yeah, so this is a whole new thing, isn't it? Because the old way you used to be offered a place in a share home and, and that was your housing and your support, take it or leave it. That's right. Whereas now you get uh, support funding in your plan and you might get SDA funding in your plan. The funding itself will tell you what type of uh, design category that you're funded for. So there's five design categories. There's basic, that's basically for old stock, current group homes, that sort of thing, not much much specialist design in in the group homes. There's improved livability and that would be generally housing for people with a cognitive or sensory impairment. There's fully accessible housing. So that is... Going to be more accessible for people who use a wheelchair. Uh, there's robust housing that's for people that's built to a really strong spec. It's got like laminated glass, uh, very tough walls.
0: I think I need that. I always run my wheelchair into things.
1: So if, uh, perhaps if you've got behaviors of concern, robust housing would be the appropriate design category for you. Um, and then there's high physical support. So the Summer Foundation's basically been building high physical support, but there are whole, you know, there's the other categories as well.
0: And I understand that um, part of it is um, the fact that you could possibly have um, overnight on site assistance. In So, you, you know, you, you, there are other options apart from nursing homes where there can be um, assistance there. 24-7.
1: So, George, I think you know more about the policy than I do, but certainly in the policy it steps out very clearly that um, on-site overnight assistance is is there and provided for. The The trick here is getting this into people's plans and to get that market up and running.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you've established, um, well, you it's not you've established it, it's... It's effectively your planner isn't it that that needs to establish um, um, what level of payments and again yeah, you've got the got it in your plan but where do you find the housing so
1: there's a website called the housing au and the housing
0: and that's like a real estate type website it is it's got housing vacancies and
1: it's got where they are and what design category they're built to. And it doesn't only have SDA. It's got other vacancies as well. It's got some group home vacancies. But the vacancies have been focused up until now in northeast Melbourne area. And they're starting to come online from the Hunter in New South Wales. But slowly, we will be developing that website, taking on more and more vacancies. It's definitely worth having a look at. To
0: see the sorts of things that are happening in the housing space for people with disabilities. And I actually went to that website and I saw some pretty nice-looking houses. And they don't necessarily look like you know disability group homes. Or some do. Some of them look exactly what you'd expect. But yeah, there's some apartments um, that they're building in Fairfield and Richmond that look really nice, really fancy. Well, I'd, you know, a lot of people maybe think that they can't afford to live there, but with an SDA payment um, in that plan, and that won't cost them um, anything more than what, what is it the twenty five percent of the BSP and
1: a hundred percent of any Commonwealth rent assistance that you're entitled to.
0: That's really accessible or affordable. Sure is. So tell me, when once people um, have. Yeah, have a look at the website they, they and they've found um, the right place to live. What, what next?
1: So I think you'd be going back to the NDIS and you'd probably be asking for the supports that you need to transition from wherever you're living now into that new housing um, that you've found. You need to enter into a service agreement with the provider. You need to um, look at your tenancy obligations and think about finding doctors, medical systems in the area that the house is in, you need to do a whole lot of preparation to make sure that um, that housing transition is successful for you.
0: Okay. And is there someone that's listening to us and they're um, currently in inappropriate housing or they're really desperate to move out of where they're currently living? might be an aged care facility or something like that. What are some pieces of advice that you might give them in terms of taking that first step to, to independent living?
1: Probably when you went into aged care, it was because there were no other housing options available. Although well, I want to tell you, there are new housing options coming online. The government's committed a huge amount of money over the next decade to this form of housing for people with really high needs. So uh, it's time to feel hopeful, and it's time to start looking and getting a good team around you to work out how to move out of aged care into housing, back into the community.
0: I think that's excellent advice. Now, seeing a NDIS plan, and it had uh, something in there that talked about a housing plan and support coordination. for that, What's, what's that about?
1: So if you get capacity building funding, in your NDIS plan to help you investigate your housing uh, solutions. It used to be called Explore Your Housing Options. Either way, it's, it's funding to work with you to exhaust all the possible mainstream housing options that might be suitable. If they don't work, it might be about getting some assessments from allied health professionals to say the type of housing support you need and for that allied health professionals to indicate which design category of housing would best suit you and that's all written up by your support coordinator in your housing plan and it's your housing plan that you take to your next NDIS planning meeting and that's what you use to test your eligibility for SDA. The information in that is the evidence on which they'll make the decision as to whether you're eligible for SDA.
0: And I understand there's some info on the some foundation website that can help people to work out how to develop their housing plan?
1: Yeah, there is. And I'd start with um, My Housing Preferences, which is something we developed for um, NDIS participants. And that's a really, you can start doing that anytime. And we've got some resources up there for allied health professionals and support coordinators to work their way through and help a participant through to test their eligibility for SDA and a Housing.
0: And that's at the Sun Foundation website, which is sunfoundation.org.au. That's
1: right.
0: Thank you, Penny, for helping us to understand MBS and housing. And I really appreciate you telling us all this very helpful info.
1: Thanks, George.
0: And it's time for our regular segment, Is That Reasonable and Necessary? And we've got Chris Freight, who's going to talk to us, about Zim memberships and whether they are reasonable and necessary. Hi George, G'day listeners. Zim memberships! I know, right? I mean, this is really interesting to me because you would think that the government would be really keen to, you know, see people, get fit and healthy and want to buy all the Zim memberships really, wouldn't they? And surely, surely gym memberships are reasonable and necessary.
2: Well, you know, I'll give you the standard lawyer um, answer to something like that, which is that depends,
0: George. I mean, mm.
2: the, the the government doesn't pay for everybody's gym memberships, so you're starting in that environment.
0: Okay, so that goes back to um, the criteria.
2: Yeah, so we, if you um, were asking for a gym membership fees to be paid as a reasonable necessary support, you'd need to go back to what we've been talking about before, which is... First, you look at Section Thirty Four and the sort of things that has to be um, addressed in relation to that, and that's that whole list of things we've talked about. Yes, you also got to read that in relation to the rules that talk about the things that they won't fund. So, on the one hand, you look at how mm-hmm. you describe things on that they might fund and the things that they won't fund.
0: So, in terms of them, yep, the idea that not to fund it was for under the what part of the um visible necessary is it that one that talks about the fact that it's not disability
2: related or well you could talk you could think about it um in a number of ways but certainly under the rules where it says the support will not be provided or funded for is if it's not related to the participant's disability. Um or relates to day-to-day living costs that are not related to their participants' support needs. So there's a number of ways that they could approach it, but that's certainly where they, you know, where you think that they might start to make decisions.
0: And this is why the gym issue is so interesting, because you know, for for people who have mobility impairments um, or even even mental health issues, um, regularly participating in the gym um, is is in many cases you would think don't have positive outcomes that are related to issues that are affected by their disability like their mobility, their, their levels of, of being able to do things for themselves. The capacity
2: to stay as independent as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so there's been a relatively recent AAT case on this, a decision from the AAT that was handed down in May this year that talks about gym membership. Okay. And so that's a great case to have a look at if people are interested in this. It's a relatively short decision. It's only four or five pages long. You can find it on the AAT website or you can find it on the um, on, on the government uh, case law website. There's a number of them. OSLI um, is one you can find it on. Um, and it's worth a read because it talks you through why... What the, what the tribunal will look at in relation to reasonable and necessary.
0: I know it's worth for you and I, but the average listener might not really find the time to do that. Can you maybe give us a bit of a synopsis of what the AAT decided? Okay, so
2: uh, this was a participant who'd asked for her annual gym membership to be paid as well as some um, fortnightly physiotherapy Um, sessions to be paid for and uh, the initial decision was no we're not going to pay for those and this person then took it to an internal review and then ended up in the AAT asking for the AAT to review the agency's decision. Now um, as we've talked about in the past I think one of the strengths of this decision talks about um, how the reasonable and necessary support was linked to the person's plan and the goals in that plan. So one of the goals in that plan was to maintain and build capacity regarding physical strength and subsequent level of independent mobility by continuing to attend the gym.
0: Oh, so that got through as a goal. That, that. got through as a goal. Mm. So
2: that gives, gives you an idea of the sort of goals that you can put mm. in your plan, but also then how you can relate to how to make those gym memberships reasonable and necessary because they relate to your goal. Mm. So it's about setting your plan up well in the first place Mm. and then how you trace that and the supports you might need to
0: achieve your goal. Okay, so what what was the decision Chris? Well interestingly, and
2: this is another example, why this decision is another example of how things can work, is that when they were going through the process of the AAT, at the AAT you have compulsory conferences that get the parties together to try and work out whether they can resolve this matter, the agency actually moved before the hearing, before there was a hearing, the agency actually moved in relation to their decision and started to say, okay, well, we can see that there's something here. We will start to pay certain levels of this gym membership. We will agree to pay for certain amounts of the physio sessions as well. So there was some concessions made by the agency before they even got to a hearing.
0: And do you think that, you know, as a an insurance model that the NDIS should be thinking about the long-term costs. So for example if you have a, um, a person who um, you know, really is keen to um, be a regular gym participant and that will lead to all sorts of positive outcomes, that would cost the NDIS less in the long run. Like that person would probably need less one-on-one support yeah and that's the nature of the whole
2: principles under that yeah. that undermine undermine the whole agency there is this uh, insurance model that in the long run it costs less if you put the um, supports in up front and so that absolutely is a good argument to say that these sorts of supports should be funded. But again, the agency has a responsibility to make sure that their budget Mm -hmm. and the fund doesn't blow out as well. And so in this particular case, again, this person had really good supporting reports from her allied health professionals that talked about what a difference her gym membership made. So it wasn't just about having a gym membership, it was about what was the effect on her and her capacity to stay as independent as possible using this gym membership and the physiotherapy sessions as well. So those reports were really helpful in getting this outcome.
0: Okay, now I'm going to take the other side now because I think that that's important because They'll be listening to her like, hang on, I have to pay for my gym membership. Why why should this person get their gym membership for free? And also, you know, I don't know if this person is on the DSP or has some income support. The argument could be that they should be using the income support to pay for a mainstream support, or a mainstream service such as a gym membership. What would you say back to that?
2: Um, And that's an argument that probably would be relevant and effective for lots of gym memberships. It was very much about the personal circumstances of this person at the time. She linked it to her goals and supports in her plan, but also had a lot of evidence about why this particular... the exercises that she did that were encompassed in this gym membership actually related to her disability and related to her goals.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that... um it's a, it's a really interesting example and um, you've been very helpful in uh, helping us to understand it. And any last things that you'd like to mention about whether or not a gym membership is reasonable and necessary?
2: Well, I think, you know, generally gym memberships are terrific for everybody, but the government's not going to pay for them for everybody. So you've really got to be very clear about why your particular gym membership relates to your goals and why it is a reasonable and necessary support for the agency to pay for. So you've really got to link it in with some specific evidence about you and your
0: circumstances. I think that's excellent advice. Thank you, Chris. No worries, George. Thanks for listening. That's all we have time for on today's podcast of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Follow us on Facebook at Building Better Lives to hear the next podcast as it's released. You can also access a transcript and keep up to date with our latest info on the NDIS. I'm Dr George and until next time, stay well and reasonable.